Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and thank you so much for joining me for Iconic Albums number six. Now today I'm joined by my friends Rob Rhodes and Gabor Jessica and we go a little left field checking out the Primus album from 1993, Pork Soda. This episode is brought to you by The Pedal Movie a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the Music Gear Marketplace Reverb. I am super excited about this film. The pedal movie features nearly 100 interviews with people like Steve Vai, Peter Frampton, Jay Mascus, Billy Corgan, and more, including some of our Guitar Speak podcast alumni like Dweezil Zappa, Sarah Lipstate, Johnny Barmer, and Brian Wampler. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit www.thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. You're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player. Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. Hey everyone, this is Iconic Albums. I am joined by Rob Rhodes. Hello. And Gabor Jessica. Hello. And we are checking out some Iconic Guitar Albums. The way we work it is we each choose an album and we talk about it and uh, we have a good time. So tonight we are up to episode six. We are looking at Pork Soda, the third album from Primus. It was launched in 93. This is going to be a trip. Gabor, you chose this one. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Let's do so, it. Uh, who, who, any any other Primus fans here? Any other? You are oh, Matt. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Rob, I'm, Rob I'm is, the black uh, sheep in this one. Rob is looking at his shoes. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so I'll, I'll start off little backstory again. So uh, this album was released uh, on April 20, 1993, and that was the year in '93. In September '93, I moved to Australia from Europe. So I'm originally from Austria. I grew up in Austria and I moved to Australia. And I started school, um, grade, I did grade 11 and grade 12 here in Australia. And uh, grade 11, I started school early 1994. Uh, and the people I started making friends with were all kind of these musicians or just started playing music that we sort of started hanging out. And uh, a good friend of mine, Daniel, I don't know if he's listening, Daniel Brown, he lives in, in Glasgow now. He was a massive Primus fan. And that album was sort of newish at the time. And that's all he was li- would listen to at the time. And he sort of got me into it. And I never, ever, ever, ever heard anything like it ever before. And I think if anyone listens to this album, it, yeah, you can, you can, yeah, there's nothing. And especially if you're thinking 90s, there was nothing like that ever before. And it just blew my mind. And um, it introduced me to, well, sort of playing outside and dissonance and all that sort of stuff, which I, I love. 
Um, it's sort of become one of my things now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, okay, so a little backstory in the album. So uh, the album was recorded uh, sort of around Christmas, uh, late 92, early 93. And Primus just came off doing massive tours on their after their Sailing the Seas of Cheese album, uh, which was sort of their first major label album. And it was, they worked, quite a big underground band in in the sort of San Francisco area um, but Sailing with Caesar Cheese kind of made them quite big worldwide and they did a massive tour I think about almost two years of almost non-stop touring um, and they got back and uh, they had sort of contra- contractual obligations to record a new album and Les Claypool the bass player and sort of front guy and when you think of Primus everyone thinks of Les Claypool he was really burnt out, uh, didn't want to go into a recording studio. So he uh, he actually bought a, a ranch, a farm, uh, in San, outside of San Rafael in California and built a recording studio there uh, because he wanted, he didn't want to go to a recording studio. He didn't want to have to deal with, you know, the secretaries as you walk in and all that stuff and, and people. He wanted a, a relaxed sort of atmosphere. Uh, so he built a studio which later got the name Rancho Relaxo. Uh, and from then on, pretty much everything Primus and Les Claypool related was recorded at Rancho Relaxo uh, outside of San Rafael in California. Um, uh, so the band... Uh, oh, and quick, another backstory on the band, actually. So so they were massive underground band that sort of formed in the mid-'80s. Um, but it was a different bass player... Uh, sorry, a different drummer, different guitar player. So uh, the only guy who's sort of from the original lineup is Les Claypool they had a different drummer called Jay Lane and a different guitar player called Todd Huth um, and later on there was an album released by a band called Sausage um, which actually was the original Primus lineup that kind of reformed later on and uh, uh, recorded an album called Sausage anyway so uh, that was the original band right and then uh, it was in just before they kind of got their first major label in 89 uh, guitar player Larry Lalonde joined and drummer Tim Alexander, who, little side note as well, Tim Alexander was actually the original drummer uh, for A Perfect Circle. Uh, and he plays oh, okay. on maybe one or two tracks on the or the first album. Um, but he again then left and other drummers came in. But he was, anyway. Um, so why I'm, why I'm sort of saying that is because the first two albums that Primus released, uh, all the songs that were on those albums, uh, Frizzle Fry was the album and Sailing uh, Season Cheese, and had a live um, EP called Suck On This, which was a live recording. And they had another EP called Miscellaneous Debris, which was all covers, uh, like a Rush song and a Peter Gabriel song. and like. Um, but anyway, all, uh, all the songs on the two previous albums were songs written with the previous lineup. So most of the guitar parts were all done by the previous guitar player or written by the previous guitar player, Todd Huff. Uh Pork Soda was the first album where Larry Lalonde, the guitar player who's been... With, at the time with them for you know three four years now it was the first album where he actually was his um he wrote his guitar parts okay and his sort of his style really came out and i love the guitar playing on this it's um again with primus everyone thinks les claypool everyone thinks bass uh, and um, amazing bass player amazing drummer too killer rhythm section but the guitar playing is just it's the kind of the glue that holds the band together in my opinion and um, I just love that dissonance and and all that kind of quirky stuff that that Larry Lalonde does. Um, I don't know. So Matt, you said you've you, you've you 
you've been a Primus fan or, or like Primus. What what's sort of your uh, yeah. what are your thoughts on 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 all that? Well, yeah, I mean, all that that backstory is fascinating. All the musicians that um, they went through until they settled on this, which yeah. is perhaps the longest Primus lineup now. The, these three guys, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was in the band in the early 80s and the bass player in that band, who was a good friend of mine, Tony Dunford, he used to, um, he used to make mixtapes for me. So in my band, there was a four-piece, um, like a power trio plus vocals. We all loved yep. Living Colour. But apart from that, oh, we yeah. all had these really disparate uh, things we were into. So the bass player made me these mixtapes. So he got me into bands like Fishbone. Oh, cool, um, yeah. Told me about this little band called Pearl Jam. He says you've got to buy Pearl Jam Ten. <laughs> I did. I hated it. About two years later, I loved it and I was the same. never stopped yeah. loving it. Exactly the same. I don't, I, I don't know what was wrong with me, but yeah. And Primus was was another oh, yeah. one of the bands yeah. that that he showed me. So yeah, I, I got into them. Um, I I found it's interesting. I was trying to work out why did you choose this record because the first two records were. I don't know if accessible is the right word. It's probably not the right word. <laughs> None of it is accessible, um, no. <laughs> but the first two, they, they, they seem to be a bit more structurally together. Stuff like Jerry was a race car driver and, and, and those yeah, yeah, yeah. hits, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. MTV hits. Yeah. Um, but like like Rob's choice from last week, the Deep Purple album Stormbringer, it's a little bit of a left field yeah. thing. So when I hear you talking about um, Larry Lalonde, this being his first record of him making his own real statement yeah that totally makes sense yeah yeah and it's it's to me it's it's a really dark album too so primus i mean because primus is a very kind of quirky and mm. you know if you if you guys remember that the next album actually tales from punchball had that why known as big brown beaver song which got lots of rotation on mtv as well with that film yeah. clip where they're all in those sort of plastic cowboy outfits <laughs> it's it's all kind of quirky silly stuff with those guys but that album is really dark as well and i kind of that's Part of that I think I like about this as well. It, it, I seem to be drawn towards kind of that kind of uh, little bit darker music. I like that. I don't know. I've I always kind of enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, that it's it's a it's a killer album, and I love his. I, I just love the guitar playing. Um, uh, also, just going back to sort of the way uh, with the recording, it's it's there's very little information on the recording because they recorded in in which is what they wanted in privacy at their own studio. Um, but so from some of the little interviews I sort of read and, and remember is um, basically because Les Claypool is sort of the the main guy in the band and he writes the majority of the songs and 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 um, so the way it usually works is that the bass and drums they record pretty much everything and then they would sit in the studio and Larry would just play along to the songs and just jam along to it okay. um, and they they would record everything and then he would he'd say he'd sit in the in the in the little booth and he'd look out you know into the the other room through the window and see the guys playing pool or something and whenever he'd see them look up uh, this sounded good he'd go okay this is the part and that's basically the part he picked for the songs um so it was sort of by you know him just jamming along and wow. watching their reaction and whatever their reaction when their reaction was good he went okay that's the part that's the take that's it um which i which i find is really really cool um, so it was around when when Pork Soda came out around that time. Um, prior to that, uh, Larry Lalonde was mostly playing strats, and he was he did a similar sort of thing to to the uh, Van Halen thing because I think he was quite a big Van Halen fan as well. He 
he did a bodgy home job of taking a Strat, uh, which I think he still uses. It's a green uh, 70 Strat he's got. And he just himself uh, cut out a humbucker routing and put a humbucker in the bridge because he was never happy with the single coils. But um, around about that time, so I'm not 100% sure whether they're actually on the album or not, he started playing PRS. Um, so if you watch, for example, the um, Woodstock 94 performance, um, he was using uh, pretty much only, I think, only PRS. He had two or three PRS guitars that he used on that. Okay. Uh, so he changed over to PRS. Uh, he also apparently changed from JCM 800s to JCM 900s, but he mostly used ADA, the ADA MP1 tube preamp as well. So I'm not with sounds. I don't know exactly what the go is there. Okay. Okay. Um, but it was also on that album he started experimenting more with effects. So um, that was sort of the first album where he kind of got more into using effects. And and before that, it was more... And again, I think it came from the previous guitar players, which were less effect-driven, right. but more, um, you know, these were the parts, this is the way it goes. Uh, he started using a lot more effects. On this album, for example, he uses a lot of um, uh, chorus. So he uses the, the CE5 chorus ensemble, for example, uh, he uses uh, Boss DD3 distortions. He usually has two of them, one for a slower um, delay, one for a quicker delay. Uh, he also used an 88 stereo tapped delay rack. And if you, look, if you look at a lot of, the, especially from the 90s, the footage, you see he's got two Marshall cabs with the two heads. And in between is usually a, a, a rack unit, which has the um, 88, I think two 88 MP1 preamps in it. Uh, and it all, he also uses an SPX 900 rack Yamaha SPX 900, and I think he ran in st- he started running in stereo after this album as well. So there's okay. stereo um, delays and um, also harmonizers that he used. And there's also famously a quote uh, he really liked the harmonizer and the SPX 900, and he would put it on random. He wouldn't look and just put it on random harmony settings <laughs> and just play it. And I think uh, it was also it was an intelligent harmonizer, so it also you could set the key. Okay. But he would just set it to random things just to make it sound <laughs> as out of tune as possible. Which I love that. I absolutely love that. That's just one of my favorite things. Oh man, that's um, some classic early '90s rack gear right there. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah, the SPX 900. I mean, that's that's one of those. Uh, and the ADA because it's funny actually because Les Claypool lose, used that. A preamp for a long, 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 long time on the bass as well. Okay. So he used a guitar um, tube preamp on the bass, and that's because I mean it's a very unorthodox bass sound he's got as oh, well. Oh, totally. Um, so okay, it, sorry, yeah. Oh, is he on fretless most of the time? I think on that album mostly on fretless. Yeah, there's fretless. There is on, on that particular album. There's a lot of it, it's uh, his uh, what he calls his rainbow bass. Okay. So I think it's Carl Thompson is a is a yeah, luthier yep. and he yeah. makes him all his basses and he had this six string fretless and then he had another one made um, he wanted the string spacing to be really close so the neck is almost like a guitar neck but it's oh, with wow. bass strings on it because he wanted for tapping he wanted the yeah, the strings yeah. to be really and I think you can see that bass not the rainbow bass rainbow bass is the one it's sort of really big and it has like a, almost a like a double bass scroll on the headstock. Mm-hmm. And um, but uh, if you watch the video for DMV, that's his second. Um, that's a fretted. I think that's a fretted. No, that, okay. or maybe the fretless too. But it ha- it it almost looks like a guitar neck, but it's six string a six string bass. Uh, and he used uh, upright bass like uh, contrabass, 
and he also used a bass banjo on it. <laughs> okay. Because there's one one track. Um, uh, what is it? The air is getting slippery, and that's bass banjo and a six string bass, a six string banjo. Sorry, six string banjo for the guitar. Oh, and okay. A bass yep. banjo for the bass. Um, but so okay, so so Rob, how about you? Um, your your Primus. Uh, what, what do you know about Primus? Look, Primus for me is very secondhand um, and more like background experiences because okay. in 93, I'd already left high school and was out working well and truly sort of playing. Uh, then my brother, my younger brother played guitar as well and he was listening to all this stuff. Okay. So it was kind of in the background. His crew were all you know, Primus t-shirt wearing, Mr. Bungle t-shirt wearing. So I, that sounds would, like my kind of crew. <laughs> yeah, and, and I would hear all that stuff all the time. Um, so it was kind of like this background soundtrack to my brother's life at that time. Um, and my memory, my, my memory that comes to mind from this album is I would come home late on a weekend after being, you know, hanging out in parks and service stations with my mates and the Mr. Crinkle clip would come on Rage and it would freak me the hell out every single time. I'd be like, no, man, I can't do this now. I can't do this. So That was all done in one shot, one take. Yeah. That's and a one take. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's such a cool video clip. So I forced myself to face my fear and I watched the clip last night. It's no less freaky, but the stuff going on in the background is like pure genius. Like that one camera, one shot. Yeah. Prior to OK Go's, you know, treadmill clip, it's um, it was really cool, and I was reading some stories behind that clip, and the guy that directed it was just freaking out the whole time because like, <laughs> how am I going to make this happen? Um, but they pulled it off. Um, the story behind Mr. Crinkle is that was actually a name that Faith No More's drummer Mike Borden used to use as his alias when he checked into hotels. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. that's what Mr. Crinkle's about. And he's actually he he plays uh, sneaky drum bits here and there on quite a lot of Primus albums. Oh wow, um, cool. And uh, he may even be in the in the video because apparently a lot of the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area bands, uh, they were asked because they were all friends. And I mean, again, uh, we talked about it with the Joe Satriani album. Uh, Larry Lalonde got guitar lessons off of Joe Satriani as well. Yeah. And famously, Les Claypool auditioned for Metallica after Cliff Burton died. Oh, wow. Because, because uh, I believe they went to school together. Kirk Hammett and Les Claypool went to school together or something like that. They were sort of childhood friends. And he came in and he um, he basically played the guitar and bass part slapped and for whatever... Uh, I don't know, maybe it was Master of Puppets or something like that. He actually played both parts on the bass. And they just oh, kind of wow. laughed and went, I mean, <laughs> we'd love to, but no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, so there, there, is, there is, apparently there's a lot of cameos from um, a lot of the guys in Faith No More, um, possibly even Metallica in the background of the Mr. Crinkle clip. Ah, cool. Yeah. And that one guy on fire and there's, it's just a, it's a, it's a, very very cool thing. So, <laughs> if my, anyone hasn't seen it out there, go and watch it. Yeah, it was. Um, it took a lot. I, let's just say it was about one o'clock in the morning when I'd worked up enough. Um, <laughs> I thought, yeah, what a better time to watch it than right before bed. 
Um, <laughs> you know, thankfully it didn't eat into my psyche and I slept okay. But my other memory of this record was um, just about every bass player from 93 to 95 or 96 would play My Name is Mud at every sound check, at every rehearsal. And be like, can we get to the song? And it's like, no, nah. they're like, I got to play that bass line. And I'm, I just got to, nah. And I heard that so many times because by about 94, I was working in a hotel and it was a live music venue um, and had a lot to do with booking the bands in and stuff. So a lot of the original bands that we'd have on nights would come in and the bass players would do the same thing. Plug in, play My Name Is Mud um, for their sound check. Um, so it was definitely uh, very, very prominent at that time where I grew up. And My Name Is Mud is in the vernacular. Like I think every one of my mates, musician mates, we walk around and just at a random time, someone will go, My Name Is Mud. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's just it's just there. It's like yeah. so um it, it has as much as it is very um alternative and very sort of out there, um, they definitely found a way in yeah. to the point where now they're on t shirts in general pants. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well they've sort of become this sort of cult band. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean this album I believe I mean it it never sold much more than a million copies, which I mean, it's it, million copies. I mean, I, I wish I could have ever sold a million copies in my life, but uh, it, it went so, uh, it went platinum in '97. So I, I mean, million plus copies it sold. They never were massive, um, you know. They never sold massively, but they always had. Uh, they were massive live band. Uh, people always used to go, always sold out wherever they went, and they're just one of those cult following bands. Um, <laughs> And they were on Interscope Records, which yeah. Jimmy Iovine, you know, well, everyone knows who Jimmy Iovine is these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, early on in his career, he produced Tom Petty, U2, Patti Smith, Stevie Nicks, you know, like all those artists, and then went on to his own, you know, amazing career by starting Beats and yeah. um, all those sorts of companies and Apple Music. Um, I think he's the current CEO of Apple Music if he hasn't stepped down recently. Okay. Um, crazy. Part of The Voice, all those shows. He's probably the biggest record company executive in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, to think that he was, you know, his record company at the time signed signed them. Uh, and actually quite quite uh, quite smart from, from Primus and Liz Claypool, he actually started his own publishing company called Prawn Song. Which was a take on Swan Song from Led Zeppelin. Ah, cool. Uh, but Prawn Song, still up until this day, like uh, he, they own a lot of the rights to all their songs. So they they sort of sell. They went through record labels, but a lot of the publishing stuff they still did themselves. So they still own most of the rights to most of their songs. That's great. Which which yeah. was a smart move from a very early stage. So um, yeah. Yeah, it's the last bastion, right, in the industry is yeah. getting publishing. Yeah. 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 Man, it was such a fertile time too, the early 90s. You think of all these different bands that came out via grunge or post-grunge. There was just such a, an acceptance of these widely disparate bands that were, yeah. that were producing stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and besides some of the bands we've mentioned, um, crazy stuff. The, the, the next wave of Scar was, was about to kick in. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
hair metal was gone, but a lot of industrial stuff was coming in and amazing, amazing time. We'll take a short break and we'll come back with some standout tracks from Pork Soda. I hope you are enjoying today's interview. Now, this podcast is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the music gear Mark Place Reverb. Now, you know we love guitar pedals here on the Guitar Speak podcast, and we're super excited on the release of this film. The Pedal Movie explores how effects pedals and their builders have shaped modern music and guitar playing over time, from the fuzz pedal experiments of the Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix, through the shoegaze and indie rock of the 90s, and up to the modern day use of effects. Reverb also speaks with builders and leaders from more than 50 pedal brands to answer the big question, how did guitar pedals get so big? Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play and Voodoo. For more info, check out thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by master guitar teacher Joe Elliott. Now, I was a beta tester for the course, and as a music educator myself, I was very impressed by the logical layout and format of the course. Heavyweight guitarists such as Brett Garsett and Greg Koch have also endorsed the program, so check it out at www.fretboardbiology.com. Okay, back to our interview. All right, we are back. I'm with Rob Rhodes and Gabor Jessica. We are talking Pork Soda, the third album from Primus in the early 90s. Gabor. Um, okay, well, I was going to ask you guys, standout tracks. Well, I'll go first because I'm probably going to be the quickest. Okay. <laughs> um, first of all, being um, probably the only vegan on this panel, pork soda was a difficult uh, digestion for me. <laughs> uh, just thought I'd throw that joke in there. No, no pigs were harmed in the yeah, making of this album. No, that's right. Um, yeah, so not really my wheelhouse, but um, the standout track for me was Hamburger Train. Oh, um, the instrumental, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's yeah. probably the drum groove that got me like the most. And He's a killer drummer, Tim Alexander. Killer drummer. Yeah, and it was um, it really sort of it was reminiscent of the police to me. Like it had that was able to bring me in from that um, sort of influence. So it had that real Stuart Copeland thing and the oddity of some of those instrumentals that the police used to play with Andy Summers and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was yeah, it's kind of a crossover for me. So that was that was the real standout. For me, other than that, um, obviously, you know, my name is Muds, worth a, <laughs> worth a listen. But um, yeah, definitely Hamburger Train stood out to me. Oh, cool, cool, cool. And what about you, Matt? Uh, I had Hamburger Train as well. Um, I think, yeah, the groove as well. And the, the slap part, the, the bass part, it was um, the, the drums and the bass really just locked in for a while. Yeah. It, it, a lot of the record to me, it feels like Tim... Is it Tim Alexander? Tim Alexander, yeah. Herb, they call him, yeah. Yeah, Herb. He's just laying it down and he sort of needs to because the other two guys are, are a little bit everywhere. Yeah. Plus the yeah. vocal. It's um he's like the I know he, I know you said the guitars glued it together for you. For me it was just this re- the drums were kind of the gr- sitting- I mean it, it all uh, what I meant is sort of melodically I think a lot of it the the, the guitars sure. were glued it together. It uh, but yeah, the, the, I mean he's an amazing drummer. And mm-hmm. and I think they work 
Les Claypool and Tim Alexander work together so well. They yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. So, um, yeah, I love Hamburger Train. And then Lalonde, he's just going nuts for eight minutes. So yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's crazy guitar. Sometimes it just sounds like sound design. And I, I well, dug I th- that. I think that was a live, from memory, from reading it somewhere, that was a live jam in the studio. They just all it sat together. Like and, st- and I think he said by the end, because he used the trem quite a lot on the guitar, yep. the guitar was completely out of tune. And he was just sort of trying to find notes that roughly made sense. <laughs> it sounds like he's doing that for a lot of the record. He's he's finding stuff. Well, well, I, I for me, like I love, for example, like just my my for me, my standout tra- tracks. Um, if you listen to the song, I mean, my name is Mud. Everyone, Rob was mentioning before. Everyone talks about the 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 bass, but if you really listen to what the guitar plays, it's just so bizarre. But it's it's this sort of for me it's that kind of it's that's what I mentioned with glue it's that kind of glue that makes the song without it it would just the song would be sort of nothing really the the guitar that kind of and I mean for example so my my name is Mud for example uh, what he did was he had a um, he either used and again not a hundred percent sure a DoD FX fifty five B super distortion uh, or a Boss DS one or a Boss DS two one of okay. one of those. And he actually puts it before the wah, and then he has the wah, and then that ah, goes into okay. a distorted amp. Um, and that's how he gets that really super saturated wah kind of mm. sweepy sound. Um, and if you really listen to what, in a verse, what he plays, uh, or that sort of, I guess, I don't know, would you call it verse? Not not the, the bit where the guitar comes in, the my name is mud bit. It's... He does uh, what he does a lot. He does his. Um, I think they call you'd call him octave displacements. Uh-huh. So where he plays, uh, he does. He plays. If you if you really listen to a lot of the stuff he does, he plays a lot of open strings, and then hammers on to notes really high up on the on the neck. So he plays um, instead of playing like in the octave of the open strings, he plays up an octave or up two octaves from the open strings, which gives it that extra dissonance. So, if you listen to uh, and lots of tritones, so lots of lots of flat fives and and stuff like that. But if you listen to that, and also for example, a song like Bob, which is a very dark song, really, um, which is about the the friend who hung himself in the doorway of his apartment where he lived. Um, but the guitar in that is just brilliant. Um, the verse guitar, uh, again, it's all these hammer-ons from open strings to um, to notes fairly high up on the fretboard. Uh, and using very dissonant notes, but without it, if you if you listen to it without it, it just it there's this massive hole in the song without it. And I just uh, to me that kind of stuff just grabbed me, and yeah, yeah. it made me interested in in sort of the whole this whole idea of outside, you know, playing outside and not necessarily playing to a key, but playing more to a vibe and playing even if the notes are completely out of tune and completely dissonant. The, it adds to the vibe of the song. Yeah, he's taking it. He's taking it out pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, I was listening to Living Color, and obviously Vernon Reed's doing a lot of that stuff too. Yeah. But he's doing it more from oh, some sort of theoretical standpoint. He's, yeah. He's he's thinking chromaticism, or he's thinking altered scales, and that and that sort of thing. Whereas Lalonde is not. He's really subverting probably every lesson he ever had with Joe Satriani. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's cool. I, I dig that. Hey, I also really liked uh, the tune, The Old Diamondback Sturgeon. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 
the, um, the Fisherman Chronicles or whatever it is, part three. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And um, the base it reminded me a little bit of Phil Lesh, like the Grateful Dead kind of thing. And then they bust into some like Raga kind of section. That's kind of fun. It's just all over the place. I just love it. It's just it's just <laughs> so cool. I mean, um, um, Les Claypool, I think, is very influenced by Geddy Lee. That was sort of one of his his base gods and Rush and that sort of whole prog kind of okay. vibe. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, they did on that. Uh, they had an EP called Miscellaneous Debris. I think they covered one or two Rush songs on that, um, and possibly later on on another. There was another EP that, that released later on with covers. Okay. Uh, I think they even did a Metallica cover on that. Um, anyway, later on, but um, I, I just I just love the way what they do and how all over the place they are. And, you know, the bass with a with a tremba on it. So you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just so cool. <laughs> awesome. Is there any? Um, is there some vibrato pedal going on too? I think I was hearing some of that in My Name Is Mud. Well, I think he uses a, a, a chorus ensemble, Boss CE5 chorus ensemble. Oh, okay, he's just cranked it. But everything cranked, because uh, if you watch, uh, I think he did two Premier Guitar rig rundowns um, okay. in the last few years, Larry Lalonde. And I think the one thing he always says is that the Primus doesn't know the word subtle. Uh, if he uses <laughs> effects, uh, and in all honesty, that's sort of, in a lot of ways, my my mantra for, for effects and, and stuff as well is, you want to hear the effect. You don't want it to be in the background. You don't want it to be subtle. You just want to crank it. And I think he has uh, the yeah, chorus ensemble, ensemble, everything cranked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, to get that sound. But then also, I guess he had the SPX 900. I don't know if there's a vibrato sound on that. Probably. Um, I wouldn't Probably be surprised um, if there may be. So maybe there's very little information on that album because it was um, on the recording because it was the first sort of time they went, they didn't go into a studio. Um, and it was recorded. It was all recorded at his house, and they, you know, at his. I think he converted a, a an old barn or something like that. Was converted into a studio, which is still the studio where he records pretty much uh, uh, everything he, he's done. Les Claypool okay. has recorded wow. there. Awesome. Yeah. Is there a documentary about Rancho Relaxo or something? I remember something. Possibly. Uh, uh, yeah. There is. There, um, he they released a couple of really bizarre um, videos, so DVD videos thing. One was, uh, an, uh, animals should not behave like humans or something like that. And there was another one, what was it, something fish, something with fish. And uh, in some of it, they do go to their houses and, and look at like rehearsal spaces and that sort of stuff. Um, there's some bizarre things. There's also the, the, the follow-up album to this uh, one which was um, um, Tales from a Punch Bowl. Um, they really very early on got into the whole um, uh, uh, interactive and and uh, um, uh, like well they they did a CD ROM version back in those days, so you could buy the normal album, but then you could buy the enhanced album which had a CD ROM side, and they did did all uh, there were little video clips they did themselves that they put on there. And they did. Um, uh, they really got into computer animation, and they did their own animations and stuff, and did it in that video. So there was a lot of that. So I don't know if it maybe was on there as well, but wow. um, yeah, it's they're they they're quite out there. And let's a lot of the claymation stuff you see, uh, very similar to Frank Zappa too. I think Frank Zappa did some of that claymation stuff himself. 
And I think uh, Les Claypool does a lot of that. And a lot of the sort of weird plasticine things on album covers, is on Primus album covers, Les Claypool actually makes them. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. Funny you mentioned Zappa. When I heard Primus before, I really seriously heard Zappa. Yeah, same so when I'm he- So when I'm hearing Zappa 10 years later, it's like, oh, okay, okay, that's that's primacy. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it was working backwards like a lot of us do. Well, uh, again, uh, if you listen to any any interviews with Larry Lalonde, uh, he's a massive Zappa fan. Mm-hmm. And he always says when he when Les Claypool gives him a song to put guitar parts on it, he thinks, so how would Zappa approach it? Okay. So, And he played uh, actually, uh, again, with a lot of other more high-profile San Francisco Bay, Bay Area band guys. He was in a Zappa cover band called Kaka. Okay. Um, and uh, I think actually Mike Borden possibly played drums. So the, um, uh, Faith and More drummer played drums in that and a few other people were in it. But yeah, he's a massive uh, uh, Zappa head. Um, okay. And same here. So I, I got into Zappa through that and I lo- I'm, I'm a massive Frank Zappa fan now as well. So Nice. Yeah. I got into Oysterhead, so I went. I went later. After, that's another cool band, yeah. After with, it was, um, and Steve that's Copeland that police. And and, yeah, that's that whole police connection. So it yeah. made made sense, but um, yeah. Who else was in that? I know it was Stuart Copeland's band. Trainastasia from oh, uh, from Fish. Fish, Fish yeah. yeah. He's cool, man. He's great. Yeah. yeah, that was a cool band. And I mean, now he does that. Um, what is it called? Delirium or something like that with Sean Lennon. Uh, Les uh, Claypool yeah, and Sean Lennon. Um, did take a listen to that a few months ago. It was... um, it's that's trippy stuff as well. Mm. Um, and man, I mean, totally side note. Man, Sean Lennon looks like his dad. Holy moly! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I think he was on um, Mark Maron's podcast WTF, okay. and that's when he was talking about that project with uh, Les Claypool. Les and Claypool, I went yeah. check the album out, and yeah, it was a, it was an interesting listen. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so I mean that's that's to me to me like I said that was uh, it was one of the albums that that um, it really really grabbed me in, in those days. So ninety three ninety four, what I was really mostly listening to was uh, like grunge, Chili uh-huh. Peppers. I maybe started through Chili Peppers getting into some sort of funk R and B stuff like Stevie Wonder and and bands like Tower of Power, yeah, um, and the Meters. I was kind of getting into that as well, but then sort of Primus kind of hit through my friend Daniel, and it just—I don't know—it it it switched, it flicked a little switch in my brain, and um, it, it introduced me to this whole nother world. And uh, if we keep doing this, there will be uh, this iconic <laughs> albums thing. There will be a few more rather strange albums that sort of all, awesome. all originated from this. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you for bringing taking me back to 94 and also <laughs> bringing back my childhood nightmares of uh, the Mr. <laughs> Mystic Crinkle video clip. But I've finally uh, overcome it at 45. I can now watch it. So that's because of you, Gabor. So thank oh, you. You're welcome, Rob. <laughs> Man, this I'm show glad is I helping help. so many people. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Gabor, thanks for bringing this record out, man. It's awesome. It's thanks, awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm uh, sorry to make you listen to it, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I'm, I feel I feel like I've been cleansed of oh, good, uh, good, some good. demons. So I, I'm yeah. glad I could help. <laughs> <laughs> Any last words, Gabor, about the record? No, just uh, just, just it. check it out. And really, I mean, 
like I said before, um, it, it, it's such a whenever you talk primers, everyone thinks Les Claypool and thinks yeah, bass. Yeah. But really take the time, especially on that album, on like put on a song like Bob uh, and put a, or My Name's Mud, uh, Rob's favorite, and really listen to what the guitar does because it's just so. There's nothing, nothing else. There's no other guitar that sounds like it. No one else plays it like that, and it's just so unique and so out there. So check that out. That's all I, all I can say. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Iconic Albums on the Guitar Speak podcast. There you have Pork Soda from Primus. Thank you so much, Gabor. Jessica. Gabor, where can people find more of you? Well, uh, <laughs> you can find me. Well, where can't you find me? Uh, if you live on the Sunshine Coast, you can find me at lots of gigs all around the place. Uh, if you don't live on the Sunshine Coast, you can type into your uh, preferred uh, browser search engine of choice. You can type in uh, the super fun, awesome, happy time pedal show. All one word. No no gaps. We don't do gaps. Uh, and you'll find uh, me, uh, myself, and uh, me, myself, and I, all my personalities, and my friend Alex, um, uh, reviewing guitar pedals and guitars and um, amps and stuff like that and we do a podcast as well um which uh, cool. matt matt and rob both uh, every once in a while listen to which is which is very flattering <laughs> it is good stuff man I've, i was listening to you this week but we'll talk more about that cool, cool, cool. Uh, once we wrap up rob Rhodes, thank you again mate where uh where can we find you my pleasure um thanks guys um so my band living in the 70s um i might give a plug to our river cruises if you're uh you on the it. gold coast or the sunny coast um, go to roadtripevents.com um, and you can check out when all our cruises go. It's a good day out. We live in the 70s, out on the water, international water rules. So um, <laughs> make of that what you may, but uh, we are COVID safe, of course. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, guys. So fun looking at some more records and uh, keen to do it again soon. Cool. Sweet. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, good boy. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Rob. Cheers. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Now, this podcast was brought to you by The Pedal Movie, the feature-length film all about effects pedals created by Reverb. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit thepedalmovie.com. The show was also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by ex-head of guitar at GIT, Joe Elliott. Check out fretboardbiology.com for more information. Alrighty then, you have been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling, and as the legendary German rocker Michael Schenker once told me, Keep rocking, keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.